Buddy Wilson, my old pal, back another week of the Mandalorian. So we are back at it, dissecting the episode, uh, looking at the return to Mandalore, the return of Pelimoto and Amy Sedaris' character. Uh, we get a new droid in the mix, and we, of course, get Dan and Grogu on another adventure, going to Mandalore. And so Wilson and I are going to break it, break it down. Wilson, of course, gives some Easter eggs and some background information for this podcast host. Uh, and we, of course, spent some time, considerable time, talking about the fantastic final scene of this week's episode. That is all coming up next. This is the way. All right. Welcome to Mandalore in a galaxy far, far away. Buddy Wilson is here, and we are off looking at Season 3, Episode 2, The Minds of Mandalore. You're pretty jazzed up for this one, aren't you? Like, this was such a, like, fandom. Like, I'm just, like, fanboying out on this episode. It was amazing. We just, we before we started recording here, we talked about how we both had to rewatch the end. So we'll get to the end, but... Before we do, I want to hit the Mando rundown. This is my commitment to try and do a 30-second rundown, knowing very well that there's no way this will be 30 seconds. So I'm going to hit the clock here, and here we go. The episode begins with our pal Pelimoto running a scam as Mando drops into her shop. Mando and Grogu with new droid RD, R5-D4 on board survive the atmosphere of Mandalore to land on the planet. R5 drops off radar when out for an atmospheric check. So Mando goes to check on him. Mando is ambushed by inhabited creatures before fending them off and heading with R5 back to the ship where atmospheric check reveals no abnormalities. Grogu and Mando explore until Mando is captured by a predator versus alien looking thing. Mando tells Grogu to go get Bo, who comes quite readily to Mando's aid. Bokatan saves Mando and the three venture to the living waters. As Mando goes into the waters, he is sucked down only to be rescued by Bo, who while rescuing him comes eye to eye underwater with, wait for it, the Mythosaur. And that is episode two of season three. Dude, like you did that so quickly and you hit like every major point <laughs> in that episode. It was a 42 minute episode and you did it in under a minute. Like, wow. Okay. So first things first, um, I actually practiced that. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, I texted you yesterday. I was home from work yesterday because my back hurt, um, which is like such a typical um I feel like old thing to say, getting older, your back hurts. So you have to stay home from work. Um, right. But so when I watched the episode yesterday, I actually practiced with that rundown. I, I typed it all up. I had to make it look good. I was like, try and get 30 seconds. And uh, I, I did not get 30 seconds, but it was, it was a worthy goal. It's amazing, dude. It's amazing. Well, thank you. Um, my, my first thought that I had, um, we'll get to all the little nitty gritty stuff within the episode, but I don't know about you. As soon as um, Mandalorian, the the little atmospheric check by R5-D4, as soon as we realized that was normal, I had a sense. I feel like I knew the armor is going to be the big baddie for this season. What do you think about that? No, I, I still think there's something more coming down in the Mandalorian and in the season. I think... Um, Din Djarin is trying to find redemption and he has to get the blessing of the armor. So he's got to go to Mandalore. He's got to go to the living water and he's got to bring something back to the armor to say, I've been there. I've done the creed. 
I've redeemed myself. Now, let me back into the clan or back into the family. So, okay. So do you think we obviously have the huge reveal at the end of this episode with the mythosaur, which is kind of a cool sounding name. Uh, do you think that there's any possible way, this is conjecture on my part because I haven't looked into this at all, but do you think there's any way that the mythosaur, um, Bo and Mando kind of corral the mythosaur again and are able to use it? Because, you know, we've had we've had in each season, I feel like, a moment where Mando or going into Boba Fett, they corralled some big beast and were riding it. Um, do you think there's a moment where Mando or Bo-Katan or both ride the mythosaur again this season, which pisses off the armor? And it becomes a bow Mando V armor type deal for the for the future of Mandalore. Well, Din Djarin, the Mandalorian, has a, finds a way to rub people the wrong way. He like <laughs> goes out of his way and he just like irritates everybody some way or another because he doesn't mean to. He's just a bounty hunter trying to find his way in the galaxy, and he's following this creed, but he keeps getting himself into different situations. Like he, now he owns the lightsaber which Bo-Katan wants. Uh, Paz Vizsla wants that lightsaber to own um, the the leader of the Mandalorians. Now the armor is one that he's kind of irritating. And I don't think he, he might bring in the Mythosaur, but he might bring in like a Talon or a Claw or a piece of um, the Mythosaurs. I don't see them bringing the Mythosaurs out yet, but... Stranger things have happened in Star Wars. Might be like um, doing a callback to the Star Wars holiday special where you see Boba Fett making his first appearance in the Star Wars universe, riding that dinosaur, and he might be riding a mythosaurus. And that goes back to the original Mandalorian. Like the original Mandalorian um, had to tame that mythosaurus. And apparently the one that we saw in the show is like a d- direct descendant of the original mythosaurus that the original Mandalorian was tamed and drew the confidence and drew the respect of all the people of Mandalore. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. I right. that's what I'm that's what I'm wondering if there's going to be a moment where I just don't see them harming this beast to where they take off the talon and so like they bring the beast to the armor who flips and is like, whoa, you can't take those out of the living waters. And it becomes a moment of like, she knew that they were under there, but they didn't. And she tried to hide that. I don't know. I just, I can't shake this gut feeling that the armorer kind of knew, or the armorer is real opposed to them coming out of the water with the mythosaur. And I don't know. What if he brings back an egg like it did with the mudhorn back in season one, that somehow or another he comes across a nest and then we have, like you're saying, he's irritating everybody. And the armor's like, no, you can't do that. What are you doing? You can't take away a true object of Mandalore off Ooh. of the planet. And then he has to, then the myth sword gets pissed and he has to tame him just like the original Mandalore. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, a lot of conjecture. All right. So I know you got all the info. You did some deep dives. Um, I hit you with some Ask Beef. You ready? I guess so. All right. Oh, wait, before we do that, let's do best part of the episode. Because I, I think this is pretty easy for me. What was your best part of the episode? It was going back to Mandalore and seeing the ruins, what happened after the Great Purge, and seeing how um, everything done. But 
I also love the fact that when they went back to Tatooine and um, what's that crazy character? Pelimoto? Yes, Pelly. Pelly was there and yeah, they had the fun. callback to um, R5, Red R5. What was it like to the New Hope original uh, Star Wars movie? There's a lot of like great callbacks. There's a celebration going on, which is a whole nother story um, involving the huts. I, that's and, coming up on my on my ass beef. I got a question about that. And so, like, there's like a lot of great mo- moments in this episode, and I was just like in awe for 42 minutes. So, if I had to pick a particular moment, can I interest you in? You sort of hinted at it when Mando, in his little husky animatronic type sounding voice, when he asks Grogu, "Are you ready for an adventure?" Just as those fireworks pop. And then they zoom off into the sky just as we get the doo-doo as the opening montage starts. That to me was like another one of those strap your seatbelts. Here we go. Let's go. Another episode of the Mandalorian. Exactly. Like, that was I pretty solid. I got to give solid. a, sh- I got to give a shout out for this episode though, too. I was sitting there watching it and I had the thought early on that it felt like I put down in my notes, CGI as one of my favorite parts of this movie uh, movie as, as part of this episode, because it really felt like they do not mess around when it comes to CGI. They invest all of their essence into that. And it made me think of this industrial light and magic uh, studio that, that is, um, I guess, authentic to George Lucas film. Um, and I wondered how much of this episode was actually filmed just in that industrial film and magic studio and it worked because the CGI looked sensational. Well, the, the CGI that they use is a whole new brand new thing that it's like a living environment. So they kind of, it's like they're walking in the land, but it's all digital land. So it's yeah, not like it's that's wild. It's, they can actually see it as they're like walking around in their costumes. So it's, they feel like they are on a new planet or in a new setting of Star Wars. That's wild. And it's so it's like just short of virtual reality. Yes, yes, exactly. That's why like the scene where uh, Din and Grogu are walking into the cave, you know, going down into the to the ancient ruins of the city of Mandalore. Um, that to me was like, oh, there's no doubt this is just somebody who's supposed to be Pedro Pascal because it's not even going to be Pedro Pascal just walking in the Mandalorian suit and this is entirely CGI. I, th- I thought that was really cool, but it, you know, it's not terrible CGI. It makes it feel so surreal. Right. It's really cool. I, I love it. All right. So I do have some ask beeves kind of off that. Um, my first ask beef for you is how is Grogu's little pod floating device controlled? I, I, I've either forgotten or I don't remember. I think they've done an upgrade. Like, I don't know if they've actually done an upgrade or they're just showing more features of it. But he has like a little joystick or he has like a keypad that he can control it because he can turn on a light. Maybe he's going to dark, down a dark cavern. Um, he can press a little button and it goes forward, backwards. He can go up and down pretty easily. So he's like controlling it somehow, either through the force or through like a little joystick that we can't really see on camera. That dude is so adept at swerving through that little thing. I mean, the way he was getting through all the caves and everything and going up and down and zooming. I mean, well, you got to think about it. It's been 
over two years since That's we true. last saw him. So Luke Skywalker probably taught him, all right, this is what you can do. Or he's unlocked his old memories that of what he was learning how to use that at the Jedi Temple when he was a Padawan. That's true. Yeah, there's been some time. I, that's one thing I heard this past week, kind of dissecting everything from the first episode, is there has been some time between the events of season two of Mandalorian, not just in real life, but the season two events of Mandalorian, Boba Fett, now getting to this season, there has been some real life, uh, <laughs> what is it, BBYN years? Um, yeah. You know, from, from season to season. Before, yeah, before the Battle of Yavin. BBY, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, so my next uh, – you sort of hinted at it. My next Ask Beef is what is Bunta? <laughs> all right, so Bunta is a name of a hut, like Jabba the Hut. Um, and he was basically a hut who ascended to godhood, and the huts run Tatooine. They run the outer mm-hmm. rim. Right. And if you look at the Book of Fett um, – and even go back to the original trilogy, Leia yeah. killed off Jabba the Hutt. And so they left that void. And then his assistant, I can't remember what his assistant's name is. He took over in Jabba's place through like the next five years. And then Boba Fett came in, killed him off. And now he's running Tatooine. So the Huts have had a long time running Tatooine. Going back to when Anakin was a slave on t- Tatooine, the Huts run, yeah. ran Tatooine. So, uh, Bunta Eve is the celebration of Bunta the Hut ascending into godhood. So it's like this big celebration that their main leader is a godlike creature, and that's why they were doing the pod racing back in Episode One. Oh, like, um, okay. Of the original, like Lucas film. Yeah. Okay. See, this is this is why we have this segment. This is exactly why. I'm happy to have these conversations with you every week because you fill in all the gaps. I don't know. Um, I I thought it was like um, Pelimoto just mentions it. She goes, Boonta Eve, you know, why am I working on Boonta Eve? And she's running a scam, which is great, by the way. Uh, right. And I, I figured it would sort of be a throwaway line, but then they come back to it and really emphasize it some more. So I knew you'd have the answer. Well, you see it in the, in the preview. Like we've been watching this celebration. Yeah. We're wondering what is this celebration all about? What's well, the Eve, which has been going on since the Phantom Menace? Very wise. That's got to be one of your little Easter eggs there. Um, all right. So my next ask, Beave, why? I just, I think I know some of this, but why does Bo-Katan? Why is Bo-Katan so antagonistic toward the other Mandalorians? I think just I need it. You're the expert. I need you to just lay it out for me so I can fully grasp it. All right. So. Back in this previous uh, chapter, chapter 17, the, the, the first episode of the season, of season three, mm-hmm. she's on that um, moon of Mandalore. Well, it's Kalevala is the name of the moon. That's her home world now that Mandalore is no longer inhabitable because of the Great Purge. So that's why they have that Mandalore castle and that she's just there by herself with that service droid. But... Going back to Rebels, um, Star Wars Rebels, the cartoon uh-huh. series, and going back to the Clone Wars, Bo-Katan is part of the royal family of Mandalore. Her dad was um, the Lord, was the original leader 
but they took that away from Tar Vizsla, who was the true Mandalorian, was the tr- and who's the rightful heir. And that's why like, Paz Vizsla, the big uh, heavy uh, artillery guy, yeah, is yeah, kind yeah. of mad about everything because he is a direct descendant of the original Mandalorian. Okay. And now this whole royal family has come into play during the Clone Wars. And like, uh, there's a whole uh, story arc in the Clone Wars about um, the Kriz family, Bo-Katan and her sister and her father, and how they're the royal family and they're the ones that do this, that run Mandalore. And um, then they get hoaxed out of the, ru- uh, the ruling of Mandalore from Darth Maul and the Crimson Dawn. And so all these factions are just mad about the royal family because they don't adhere to the original creed. Okay. And that's, that's what I figured. It was, it was a deviation from the, the OG creed. Right. right. So everyone has supposed to be wearing these helmets and everything else, but then this royal family comes in and is like, oh, no, we don't have to use the old ways. Let's be very diplomatic. <laughs> The Jedi are good people, even though there's been a long history that the Mandalorians and the Jedi do not see to eye, eye to eye. They always have these big civil war battles. And now this royal family is saying, oh, it's okay. Let's fr- befriend the Jedi. And even um, Bo-Katan's sister had a love interest with Obi-Wan Kenobi back during Ooh. the Clone Wars. See, I, it's such a deficit that I haven't seen uh, Rebels and all the animated universe. But I, that's what, again, that's why you're here. You fill in the gaps for me. Um, okay, so then I guess a follow-up and, and maybe the most uh, most important, maybe, or maybe most intriguing question to me then, the last one I had for Ask Beeb this week is Bo-Katan makes a comment about uh, some of the Jedis I know or, or a Jedi I used to know or a Jedi I used to run with do we know, do you know, which Jedi does Bo-Katan know? Or Jedi's? It, it's Obi-Wan. Okay. Because she had direct, and it's also Ahsoka. Like, Bo-Katan know, knows Ahsoka Tana because of Obi-Wan and her sister having um, a relationship or whatnot. Um, she she knew Anakin before Anakin became Darth Vader. Ooh, see, that's big, yeah. Um, and then she knew Yoda, she knew Mace Windu, um, and she knows Darth Maul. So she know she knew how the Jedi were before Order sixty six, because she survived through all that. Because she was, of course, she's not a Jedi. So she, but she was in, involved with the politics that were going on during the Clone Wars. Interesting. Yeah, uh, I looked it up this week, and I was just kind of doing my own, not deep dive, shallow dive on uh, Bo-Katan and the actress that plays her. And uh, it's, it's this, this Kate Sackhoff. And I did not make the connection. I didn't realize that it's, she's the same. I, you might've told me this. I think you did tell me this previously, but she's the same one who voices her in all the animated series. Yes. Which that's pretty cool. That brings to life the animated to live action. And she looks the part. Like They've done a yeah. great job with costume, hair, makeup. She fits the role. She's that kind of like warrior type um, physique that is Bo-Katan. I actually had the thought this week that uh, she seemed a bit more competent than than Din this week. (laughs) 
You mean with the the dark saber? Well, I, yeah, I was hoping we'd get to that. Everything like she, the fact that she so readily, I observe she so readily comes to the aid of Din when uh, Grogu goes to get her, and she just is willing to put aside their squabbles. I mean, she goes to Grogu's ship to tell Mando off and say, "Get off my, get off my moon, go away." But then as right. soon as she realizes that Mando's in trouble, she abandons that and goes to help him. Then not only does she do that, she comes to his aid. She wields the dark saber. She, uh, you know, thoroughly dispatches of this alien versus predator looking thing. And then she dives in and saves Mando's butt in the living waters. If there's a winner this week, it's got to be Bo- Bo-Katan. And it's pretty easily Bo-Katan. That's what we were wanting to see in live action. Like we were hinted at it a little bit in uh, season two with her introduction, but now we kind of see her in her element in her home world. She's playing the part of the, the savior, which she's always wanted to try to feel, but she's always fell short because she wasn't the rightful leader to Mandalore. But now she's trying to own that part. Do you think it was a good artistic decision to have her? I'm curious your thoughts on this. So she saves Mando, the living water. She sees the mythosaur. They shoot up out of the water. And we both texted about it last night. We're like, I can't believe the episode ended right there. I thought there was more. The fact that the episode just ends right there and watching it again just before we hopped on here, the fact that she goes, like you can hear her through the mask be like, like you can hear that big breath. It's like she's astonished and can't quite catch her breath with what she just saw underwater. Do you think that was the right play to have her have the helmet on? Because, you know, she's kind of flimsy with it in that moment. Well, she, I think she was, she thinks that all of this is just a hoax. That Correct, the, yeah. The creed and everything else, all the legend is just, is le- what it is, legend. She doesn't believe any of this because she's from the royal family and they don't believe any of this. And so she just now saw that the legend is true. That yes, there's a plaque on the wall that, talks about the living waters and the mythosaurus and all this, but she's never seen it face to face. And now that she's rescuing Din Djarin that fell into a cavern in the living waters and having to go save him, she comes across the mythosaurus and she's like, maybe there's truth behind this. Like there is something here that the, the minds of Mandalore have a historical presence. Like there is something there that they, she needs to find her way and maybe she will start living the creed. Yeah, it'll be... See, I think that's the reason I ask. I think it was the right play in terms of getting us intrigued for next week's episode. I think if we were just continuing last night's episode, I think the right play would have been to, like, in her wild astonishment, take her helmet off and, like, you know, kind of kind of hyperventilate, breathe for a second. But the fact that we never see her take off her mask in that moment before the episode cuts to credits, it leads a lot to be desired on the part of us as the as the audience because we're, we're left truly in that moment wanting like, holy crap, what is she thinking? What does she look like under the mask? And right. it does make us sort of anticipate what will be her overall reaction to this. Is she going to immediately shift? And now she's totally in line with Mando? Is she going to take three episodes to kind of reconcile with what she saw? I think the mask on decision was a subtle thing, but a really prominent thing 
in the sense that it left me totally wondering what is in Bo Katan's head. And we can't even see her face. We have no kind of glimpse into what's going on in her head. Right. Like, I, what is she thinking? Did Din Djarin see this? Like, it, or was he up, uh, knocked out? Like, did he see the eye staring back at them? Or was it just Bo Katan? And now, if, if Bo Katan only saw it, how can she convince Dinjarin that it is real? That they actually saw it? Ooh, or they have to yeah. go back on the water and go explore the cavern and find this mythosaurus again? That's wild. Yeah, I didn't think about that angle. That that the whole idea of of Mando maybe being unconscious, so he didn't see it, and now she is the one who has more of a belief than he does, and he was the one walking into the dang living waters to redeem himself. Wow. It makes you sit back and be like, this Favreau and Filoni combo is, <laughs> dude, they're lethal. They're such a potent duo. And it, basically, it's just two guys, like me and you, just two random guys who just happen to be in the entertainment business, who happen to be Star Wars fans, who just happened to get a meeting with George Lucas and said, let us take over Star Wars and let us continue what you started. And they've taken it to the extreme like they have done such a great job this is like as an adult this is what i wanted to see as a kid i wanted to see a live action series as a kid or the, a cartoon like this so i can only imagine being like 12 like 10 12 years old and watching this series being like holy cow because i feel like i'm that way every week i get to see this episode or the, these new episodes you know, you bring up a good point there. I've, I've had this thought, and so you kind of opened the door. I'm going to walk in. Is this show as readily graspable for, do you think, for, you know, like me, I, I told last episode, I said how I was, uh, I don't know, first or second grade when Phantom Menace came out, and that was its whole thing as they rebooted Star Wars for the first time in 20 years. They had a new movie, and you had the sensation that was the original trilogy, I'm wondering, it, like, I don't want to go too blunt as to say, who is this Mandalorian series for? Because obviously it's, it's for us. We're enjoying the heck out of it. But we were already soaked up into the tradition of Star Wars. Do you think it's hitting younger audiences in the way that 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 maybe you or I were pulled into the Star Wars universe? Yes. Or, I, cause I, I think it's appealing to all types of audiences, um, whether it is like – hardcore diehard fans like like i am or if it's like a semi hardcore fan like you are or if it's just a casual fan who just knows a little bit of this of the storyline and it's bringing something to the table because it's not just about the jedi the jedi are second thought in this series it's about other worlds that we want to see and it's just a whole nother take on the star wars galaxy yeah, that's no, that's a good point. It's because you, you're that was a very kind comment. I'm a semi hardcore fan. That sounds really good. I, <laughs> I think I'll, I'll readily grasp that one. Um, but you know, the fact that it's on Disney Plus, I don't know if that makes a, a, a positive difference. Um, I just, I guess I'd be interested to see what the numbers are in terms of their demographics, who's actually watching this. But I've had that thought in the back of my head just like, is this working for younger audiences in the way that some of this stuff they've already put out there in the past has been able to snatch the viewers of younger, younger uh, star Wars fans. 
Well, I think that's why they started off with the animated series with the Clone Wars and then Rebels and then Star Wars uh, The Resistance. They wanted to build that younger fan base mm. first. That's a great and point. And then they came into the live action to bring in the older audiences and the younger audiences together. And The Mandalorian was one of the original lineups for when Disney Plus launched back in 2019. Yeah. I, I think it was one of three or four shows they launched on the opening day of Disney Plus. And it is still the highest viewed Disney Plus series to date. As it dang well should be. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's fantastic stuff. All right. I want to move to, uh, let's go to maybe, I don't know, maybe this is your favorite part. I certainly like it because I get educated. Let's go Easter egg hunting. What you got? Oh, boy. Like Last week's was excellent, by the way. The the Whatever you call them, the phantom things in the hyperspeed. See, I don't even know the names. Oh, the per, uh, the Pergales. Yeah, whatever they were. That was great insight by you. So what yeah. do you got this week? All right, well, we, we've touched base about uh, Boone to Eve, and they had the pod racing going on in the background, if you kind of mm-hmm. go I back to water. Yep. That's a, that's a callback to Anakin's pod racing, you know, and right. how he freed. Um, there's a BD-1 droid um, that you see in with um, – What's her name? Peli Moto, which is a, he is, um, the BD-1 droid is from Fallen Jedi Order video game with uh, Cal Kalis. Oh, yeah, I recognize that sucker. I'm looking it up on Google now. Um, and then there's a little, like, Peli Moto says, can Grogu speak? Did she, did he just say my name? And Mando's like, no, no. And so it, it does sound like Grogu says either Peli or... Or he says Bucket or Beckett. Um, so there's a whole lot of like going on that maybe we'll hear Grogu actually speak. Ooh. And does he speak in normal language or does he speak in a whole nother language? Or does he speak like Yoda, which talks Inver- backward? Yeah, inverse language. Yeah. Um, I do want to go watch that part again because I didn't, I didn't think about that right away. But it, then retrospectively, I was like, oh, yeah, maybe he did speak. So I got to watch that part again. Then, like, um, Pelis tells Mando, uh, or tells um, somebody, and I don't, it might have been when she was trying to pull a fast one on her uh, customer, mm-hmm. saying, no chance cubes, which is a catchphrase, no dice. Like, people say no dice, like, no chance. Well, the no chance cubes is a callback to Phantom Menace when Watto rolls dice and Qui-Gon Jinn manipulates it so he can get Anakin um, so he can free Anakin. Like it's a whole, like just a little hint wow. of a um, Easter egg there. Yeah, I'm picturing the scene right now. Freaking classic Liam Neeson. Yes. Um, then I went back to chapter 17, the, the first episode of this season. Um, and the scene where the armor and Mando coming in the first time with Grogu and he brings that green piece of glass and it has an, a Mandalorian encryption from it. Well, uh, Din Djarin says he got it from the Jawas on Tatooine, who got it from a traveler. And he's saying that Mandalore is inhabitable. Like, you yeah. can, it, it's not, you can go to the land and you can survive. Like, there's living stuff on there, which we found out in the episode that, yes, 
there's a lot of creatures out there still on Mandalore. Well, that that piece of glass is a piece of the surface of Mandalore because Mandalore's ground is sand. And during the Great Purge, when they were when the Empire was nuking the surface, it basically um, burned up all the sand, and all the sand turned into green glass. So it was like a little Easter egg there that Mandalore huh. had. Um, let's see. Then those you had those cave beasts. I mean, we should while you're while you're looking, we should. We definitely can't end at all anywhere close to this this episode without mentioning that Grogu freaking chucks one of these caveman monster things with the Force, which is right uh, a fairly significant development that he's doing that. Um, the, it, it was kind of just like a shoe in. They threw that part in, and it's like, all right, cool, it's going to the next thing. So it's it's almost becoming a just a mundane sort of basic thing for Grogu. Just yeah, flick yeah. this guy out of the way of force. What he's his species, whatever species that is that he and Yoda and Yaddle are um, are from, they are so highly force sensitive. And with Grogu only being fifty years old and being trained at the Jedi Temple, and then because of Order sixty six, which hopefully we'll kind of see what happens with that, he kind of tucked all that back in. And Luke Skywalker has brought that back out. So yeah. we're starting to see Grogu become more of the Jedi that he was supposed to be. Do you think we're ever going to learn what that species is? Yoda, Yaddle, Grogu? I, I hope so, because I think that Grogu is like a center character of this show. And they're hinting that um, he was rescued by Mandalorian. Then he was sent away to train with the Jedi, but he he chose Grogu chose to go back with the Mandalorian, so he might be the next Mandalorian Jedi, just like the first Mandalore who wielded the dark saber. So we might see Grogu at one point um, yield the dark saber, and that might be, become his lights like the dark saber, which might become his lightsaber of choice. And he might be the true leader that brings huh. balance to the Mandalorian people and might bring back the Jedi. We, we don't know. Huh. That'd be, that'd be a big, I think a big uh, undertaking for Filoni and Favreau to be the guys who bring the name to, uh, you know, Yoda, Yoda species, a, a character that was famous for 50 years before them. Well, if anyone's going to do it, it's those two guys. Like it's going to be them. And they going. have the power and the means to make anything happen in the Star Wars galaxy. And they're going to do a dang good job doing it. They'd pull it off. Yes. What else you I got? Mean, Any other Easter eggs? Well, like, all right. So let's let's talk about the scene where Mando gets caught by that creature. Mm. And it's some cybernetic creature. And the way that it, kind of makes the noises it's a call to general grievous and his, oh yeah yeah and his uh species but general grievous is a cyborg which is what we kind of saw um in this show was a cyborg type um creature and so i was doing some deep diving and there is a species that looks very similar to what we see but they usually have two eyes and not just one. So this was like a Cyclops version of it. Hmm. Um, 
and it's a I'm gonna butcher this a bit. It is a Gaussian, which is seen in Solo, a Star Wars story. It is one of the band members on Drayton Voss's uh, yacht. It's a huh. little creature in a, in a jar, so which is similar to like the what the creature was in. He was in yeah. a kind of a jar type uh, contraption in this episode. So there's nothing like there's nothing yet defined of what this creature is, but it was something that was really like I was scared. Like I, I was gonna it, say it was it was a little intimidating. I I'm, it jumped. I jumped when that contraption caught Mando um, when he was looking at the helmet, and I was like, "Holy cow!" And then he takes him off, puts him in that cage, and starts draining his blood like a vampire. Yeah, that was that was intense. That part got me a little bit. I didn't jump. So I, I'm proud to say I kept my composure there. It also was probably due to the fact that my back was hurting and I was like immobile for four hours. But uh, yeah, I didn't jump at that. But the, the blood sucking was profound. So I, I'm I'm curious to see if they play into that even more, or if there's gonna, if that creature is going to come back because they kept trying to to kill it off and it kept like leaving one contraption and going to another one. And so it just, it kept coming back, kept coming back like a Terminator type, kind of like um, IG-11 that we kept seeing in yeah. the last episode. So I, I, that creature kind of intrigues me along with the other um, cave beast. Like, it, like are they going to come back into play that Mando and Bo-Katan have to fight them off to get back to their ship to head back to the moon? Nah, those duds sucked. Mando dispatched of them. I mean, he they gave him a good fight, but he he knocked them off, and then Bo took them out easily. So they sucked. We don't need to see them again. But the the little alien versus predator creep. I'm down to see some more of him. That was creepy, intimidating, weird, and uh, that would make for a good little antagonist along the rest of the way. Right. All right, well, I guess we've come to the point of the episode where we're sort of uh, wrapping up. What do you got for last thoughts, predictions going into next week? I'm excited to see where they pick off or how they how they pick up from this episode where Bo-Katan has seen the Binsaurus and did Din Djarin see it? Like, what's Grogu doing right That's a now? a great question. Um, how does it play into the overall... Um, scenario and what do they have to bring back from Mandalore to the armor to find redemption? And will Bo-Katan have to go? Will Bo-Katan agree to go back to the armor and say, "Hey, I want to pledge my allegiance to your clan," or is it going to become a big civil war because there are the Visa clan there? You've got the Children of the Watch. Bo-Katan is part of the royal family and has her own faction of the Night Owls. Like, so there's all this like Mandalorian like clans and I think it's going to come up to a big civil war because they all are trying to follow the creed. They're all trying to reunite, but they all think that they have a stake to the dark saber and they are the true leader of Mandalore. And can they rebuild what was destroyed by the empire? You're, you're asking some great questions. The the it was Mando actually conscious? A brilliant question. And then, what do they do to prove that Mando was in the living waters? 
is another great question. Do they do something with the mythosaur? I can't. I'm. I can't shake the feeling that I think the armor is maybe not as well intentioned as we as we thought, and that she's going to cause some problems from here on out this season. The bow might shift her sort of uh, disposition, and that the armor becomes quite the nuisance for Mandalorian and for Din and for uh, Bo-Katan. Will the armor be a traitor and sell out Din Djarin and Grogu to the remnants of the Empire? Because mm. we see in the preview that uh, Dr. Pearson is going to be a player in this season. And how does he come into play? Like, where... Yeah, it's we not going to be Bo now. Right. So what's going to happen with that? Are they, Is the remnants of the Empire still going after Grogu? Because... We know that Grogu is a key to cloning and possibly cloning the Emperor because now the Emperor is dead. But are they going to try to recreate him, which is kind of tying into the Rise of Skywalker? Yeah, it probably would be ineffective. Otherwise, they're going to really butcher up Rise of Skywalker even more than it already is. But I could see, you know, the armorer, my big bad. I could see them going to her and being like, hey, we found the mythosaur. The living waters are real. And she goes, yeah, we can't have this. I need that legend to stay buried. And then she calls the Empire in, similar to how Lando does his boy Han in bad in uh, Empire Strikes Back. Right. Um, I could see that. I, I think you might be right because Dave Filoni and, and Big John – Love, Big John. They, love the, they love the original trilogy and said so i'm sure they're going to play try pull some of his um tricks and just re reuse it but in a more daring and more like shocking moment oh well, we will certainly enjoy the moments as they keep coming um already looking forward again that that is the one benefit of, of doing this the day after um, watching the episodes on Wednesday is it's kind of a bummer. We don't get together on Wednesdays, but then the benefit is that we only have six days to wait for the next one as opposed to seven. Right. Well, I feel like we can't do this the night of because by the time I watch it and digest it, it's going to be like 10 or 11 o'clock at night and yeah, it's... the podcast and then getting up ready for school the next day, you know? Yeah, well, and we we got to be coherent with our thoughts. We got to give our A game, right? Eight o'clock, it's prime time. Exactly. That's that's our sweet spot. All right. Well, thank you as always for filling me in, sir, and uh, may the force be with you. This is the way. I have spoken. Mm-hmm.